So Money episode 362, Karen Carr. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wealthfront. Wealthfront is the most tax-efficient, low-cost, hassle-free way to invest. Now, many of you I know are interested in simplifying your investment strategy. You want to reduce fees. You want to work with a service that you trust. And Wealthfront delivers. It builds and manages your personalized, globally diversified portfolio. To open an account, the minimum is just $500, and that gets you a periodically rebalanced, diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds. There are zero trading fees, zero hidden fees, and advisory fees that are just a fraction of traditional advisors. In fact, Wealthfront manages your first $10,000 for free. To learn more and sign up, visit wealthfront.com forward slash so money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We have a guest on today whom I've run into, at least uh, in articles, uh, for quite a few months now. Karen Carr and I have been quoted together in a number of articles recently to do with millennials and money. She is a fantastic financial planner, somebody who really understands the millennials mindset and the millennials pocketbook. And that's why a lot of people in the news world, in addition to, of course, the financial world and the everyday world, want to hear from her. She really understands kind of what the needs, the wants, the likes, the dislikes, and the financial needs are of the young people and the, uh, you know, the 20s and 30-somethings in this country. And my, I consider myself a part of that uh, community. So I'm really excited to pick her brain on this show. A little bit more about Karen Carr. She was she is currently the Certified Financial Planner at Society of Grownups. You might be wondering, what is Society of Grownups? So we're going to go into that, obviously, in the, in the interview. But just to let you know, she joined SOG because of her passion for working with young professionals who have their own unique opportunities and challenges. Karen is a big believer that financial planning doesn't have to be intimidating, and it's definitely not one size fits all. In our conversation, we talk about the specific challenges that millennials face, how she tries to address them, what's the best way to get financial advice these days, and the money memory she had growing up as a kid, being told that she was rich and not liking it, actually feeling embarrassed by that. Here we go. Here is Karen Carr. Karen Carr, welcome to So Money. Great to have you on the show. There's so much interest in millennials and money, and you are the expert. We're really happy to have you. Yes, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Tell us about the Society of Grownups. You are a certified financial planner. You did once work in private wealth management, but then you transitioned to the Society of Grownups. So tell us what that is and, and your involvement. Sure. So I am a certified financial planner. Like you mentioned, I was working in a more traditional wealth management firm. And I realized I was working with 
a lot wealthier clients, clients looking towards retirement, and none of them quite looked or felt like me. I was, you know, young and just figuring out student loans, thinking about buying my first car, what that even meant, all of these personal finance questions that I actually didn't even know the answers to myself, because there wasn't really a place that was talking about personal finance in that realm. When you think of wealth advisors, it's a very different version. So I actually found the Society of Grownups. They were preparing for a launch. So I came on board. I helped uh, with the launch of SOG, which is actually last October, um, both online and in our physical space in Boston. So I serve as one of the in-house financial planning experts there alongside with our team of designers, researchers, and developers. So we offer financial appointments, digital tools, and content, mostly focused on millennials and money. What are you finding are the most common issues when it comes to millennials and money? Does the traditional financial advisor model work for them anymore? I don't think as it exists today, it necessarily works for them. I think a lot of millennials are up against a lot. They're paying off student loans. They're thinking about buying their first home or wanting to just get prepared to buy their first home. They're facing a lot of life changes, getting married, having children. A lot of things are going on. And I think they really need bite-sized financial advice. And it doesn't necessarily have to come in the traditional sense where you sign up with an advisor and you work with them on an ongoing basis. I think they need a a la carte option, which is essentially what we've done at Society of Grownups, meaning that you can come and pay $100 for a 90-minute financial planning appointment. We do them in our physical location in Boston and sit down and really talk about whatever is on your mind for that 90 minutes and really get some added value from a financial planner. Then you can get some action steps that you take away from there and you can work on them. If you're confused, you can come on back and see us. Or if you're ready for us at the next stage of life, come back and see us then. So I think that a la carte option and just dealing with whatever a millennial is up against, meeting them where they are is where I think the industry needs to go when serving that demographic, which I happen to be a part of. (laughs) You know, the traditional advisor model where you pay a percentage of your assets under management to the financial advisor is something that I find is being disrupted in, uh, I think, a healthy way. We have a lot of other options out there, whether it's going to a society of grownups, whether it's going to an online platform where they charge you a fraction of what a traditional advisor would charge you. What are the pros and cons to all of these options? So the first side of it, I think, is the more traditional wealth manager, where you're going to pay someone to manage your money, and they'll take a percentage um, straight out of your account, really, and you won't really see or feel it. So it almost feels as though the financial planning, the advice portion, almost feels free to a lot of people. So sometimes it feels a lot different to pay for something right out of pocket, like we're asking for our financial appointment financial planning appointments at Society of Grownups. The amount of money that that takes and compounded over time can be a lot more, even if you're not seeing and feeling it. A lot of people don't even really realize how much they pay for someone to manage their accounts because they don't see it. So I think that's one thing to be really wary of. And just to make sure you understand there's a lot of value add there, but making sure you understand how much you're paying and what you're getting for it. And then the flip side of that is for a lot of millennials, 
especially those that are, you know, paying off debt or just getting started, they may not actually have a lot of assets to be managed. So that model especially doesn't quite work for them. And even as they're accumulating assets, one of the biggest places it goes is a workplace 401k plan. And uh, a wealth manager, manager can't really manage that for you anyway. So there's a lot of kind of issues with that model for the demographic we're talking about. I happen to really love robo-advisors and what they're doing. I think they're taking a really new, fresh take on the industry as a whole, and especially the investment side of things. And so the idea that you can engage with a robo-advisor like a Betterment, a Wealthfront, and actually take some of the stress out of the investment management side of things, you know, pay a nominal amount to have those investments managed for you, and then start focusing on the other parts of your financial plan, you know, debt management, buying a home, having children, all of these different pieces of that, that investment is just a component of that. So take the stress out of it. If you can feel comfortable using a robo, I think that's a great option. But there's a lot more components to financial planning that go beyond just the investment side. I understand also that Society of Grownups is growing. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, we just announced national expansion. Our next two cities we will be in are Philadelphia and New York City. So we are hoping to um, open at least, you know, a pop-up. We're doing some exploratory things right now, but by the end of 2016, you should see at least some physical presence in those two cities. So we're really excited about that. And then um, what's beyond that? We'll, we'll see. You probably get this question a lot. What is the number one problem millennials come to you with at Society of Grownups? The number one question you get from clients. I was going to say student loans are a big one. The key question, am I going to be paying student loans forever? It's something we hear quite often. And it comes up a lot. And I think one of the main things that we do with people is to help them put a plan in place for those student loans and actually do a little bit of the calculations on the back end to actually show them, no, you're not going to be paying these off until the day you die. We can actually put together a plan and we can actually project when you'll be debt free if you follow this plan. And that can be a really powerful thing. So student loans are, are a really big one. Something with this system has to change because they're facing uh, paying for school, paying back their loans. It's a big question that I have. What's going to happen? I completely agree. And even the amount of discussion that is even happening, the presidential candidates are even now talking about student loans and what, what that means. And I think that's that even is a huge shift. So the conversation, I believe, is happening. I think that a lot of people are feeling the the pain, whether they're the parents of student loan borrowers and seeing their children struggling under this debt load, the actual borrowers themselves, or the, the high schoolers actually looking at what is this really going to mean for me? And the fact that even some high school students are taking a look at this and making different choices based around that what the debt load is going to be, I think is a great thing. So unfortunately, we we have to deal with the system we have now, right? I 
I wish I could tell someone that, you know, all their loans are going to be forgiven one day. Don't worry about it. But, uh, you know, deal with the system we are working within right now and make a plan using those guidelines and then keeping up with any changes that happen over time and um, just kind of keep working at it and being really diligent is the best way to deal with any student loan burden, any debt burden, really. Are you still making trips to the post office? Why, when you can get postage on demand? With Stamps.com, you can print your own postage at your convenience. I'm serious. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes, so you can get postage 24-7. And I'm a huge fan myself. Stamps.com saves me time, and time is money. When mailing my books or important contracts, I can easily get postage and send out mail without rushing to my local post office during its limited hours. Head on over to stamps.com where you can sign up today. They're offering my listeners a special deal with promo code SOMONEY. You'll get a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. Don't wait. Go to stamps.com and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SOMONEY. That's stamps.com and enter SOMONEY. All right, so now we're going to transition to my so money questions. What's been your number one financial philosophy or money mantra? Uh, my mantra is make your spending mindful and your savings mindless. That's something I say to myself all the time, but also share with people I meet with at Society of Grownups. Our, our spending and our savings habits are the one thing we control on a day-to-day basis, which, which has such a tremendous impact impact on our long-term financial success. You know, when it comes to spending, I love to just be present and really think it through, making sure that every dollar reflects my values and fits into a larger financial picture. And then on the flip side, I aim to make savings as mindless as possible, like 401k contributions at work, direct deposit to savings, automatic transfers between accounts whatever the um, system is. But if your savings happens without you noticing, you won't really even miss it. So spending mindful and saving mindless is, I think, the overall goal for (laughs) myself and everyone. (laughs) What were your money memories growing up as a kid? Did you always know you wanted to be a financial planner? And then what was perhaps the most pivotal money memory, money moment growing up? Sure. So I don't remember thinking about money a lot as a kid, which I guess was really a a blessing in itself. I was never worried about it. I was never totally absorbed in it. But I remember walking home from school with a girlfriend and chatting about what we both got for Christmas. I think I was maybe 11 or 12. And we lived in the same neighborhood, went to the same school. But she insinuated that my family was rich. And I was really taken aback and actually kind of embarrassed. And of course, my family wasn't vacationing on yachts anytime soon. My mom was a nurse and my dad was a sheriff's deputy. But I realized that maybe not everyone's family had the same things we did. And maybe other kids were maybe more aware of their financial place in the world. Um, Looking back, it was a really important lesson. And I think you can't be worried about anyone else's finances but your own. You know, avoid keeping up with the Joneses. But also don't feel guilty for what you do have. You know, personal finance is really personal. And um, I don't think you can kind of judge anyone else's situation or what they do with their money necessarily. And so I was really a little bit embarrassed and embarrassed to be having the conversation, which is 
interesting that I had that feeling because usually as a kid, you're not thinking about taboo topics, right? You're not, you don't think in those types of terms of what's off limits to talk about. But that was something that really resonated me that, oh, this is an odd comment to make. And I don't like this conversation. So that was even more proof that, you know, money is an off limits topic of conversation, even at that age, which was really interesting. Tell me about your biggest money failure. Well, I'd say my my biggest failure wasn't so much a huge financial mistake or anything like that. I'd say taking my first job out of college it was my first real job and getting a real paycheck. It's supposed to pay for my apartment and my student loans and the gas in my car. This is really the first step towards adulthood. But when I got that job, it paid once a month and that was it. And so for a new grad living in an expensive city, I was in Boston and paying off student loans. This was just a real challenge. I was constantly having what I called cash flow problems and running out of cash before the end of the month. I'd spend the last week eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and conserving the gas in my car to make it until the next paycheck. But I just couldn't get out of this really terrible cycle. Luckily, I didn't have a credit card at the time, which looking back was a real blessing. But that really taught me the importance of having a cash cushion. The fact that your standard of living should not change from the beginning of the month to the end of the month to make ends meet and just spending within your means. And I think it takes a while to get there. And I could have really gotten myself into much worse financial trouble if um, I wanted to, but luckily I kind of held back. But I will definitely never want to go back to that kind of up and down and living paycheck to paycheck. What are some resources for money management that you would recommend to listeners? Sure. So one spending tracker that I really like, it's called Level Money. So the reason I like it for different reasons other than something like a mint.com, mint has so much data and information that if you're not a very data-driven person, it can just feel like overload, like analysis paralysis. I can't keep looking at all of these numbers and feeling like mint's yelling at me. (laughs) So Level Money does a really cool thing where it just boils it down to really the four numbers that you care about. (laughs) How much comes in the door, so income, what is your basic needs, right? Your basic living expenses. What's your savings target for the month? And then what's left over? And it really just tracks to those numbers, which I think is a really cool and different way of thinking about budgeting. That do I really care if I spent my money at the grocery store versus going out to dinner versus buying myself new shoes? Well, no, I just want to stay within the threshold. It doesn't matter where it goes at that level. So I think that's a really cool new way of looking at um, spending trackers. Um, I'd say another, <clears throat> what else do I really like? Acorns is another really cool um, option uh, that is a, along the same lines as a robot advisor, but is doing Taking some of the keep the change program that maybe some of you remember from Bank of America, the idea of rounding up your purchases and putting that extra change and actually in an investment account, which I think is a a novel idea. Again, it makes that savings really mindless. So I'm interested and intrigued by things like that. And lastly, Digit, another savings tool that uses your behavior to actually um, boost your savings. So I think there's a lot of innovation that's happening out there in that in the fintech space. And 
it seems like new apps are actually coming out daily, it feels like sometimes. So I'm really excited to see more and more of this technology coming out and really shaping the way that we think about personal finance, that it doesn't have to be this thing that you go into your advisor's office and sit there once a month and listen to maybe a lecture about your spending habits or your 401k balance. But it's really a daily thing, you know, something you can easily do on your own by checking an app. It makes more sense that things are moving online or to mobile because it's easier and more convenient. You don't have to make an appointment and go into the office to meet with someone. I definitely agree. And I think there's almost a balance between the two. So understanding when is the right time to be you know, knocking it out on your phone, on the train while you're commuting in the morning to work or, or really whenever you have time. When is the that appropriate? And when is it appropriate to actually reach out for or, you know, a real human to help you. So I think that is a fine line that we all walk with most things. When is it right to Google your symptoms on WebMD and when is it the time to go to a doctor? So we think there's lots of parallels for that. But what is the balance between those two things? When is it really time to maybe reach out and ask for help? And when is it time to really buckle down, do your research and, and learn about how, you know, your how investing works and really start trying to um, implement that on your own. What's your number one money habit, Karen? So my number one money habit, I think, is checking in with my spending. Once a week, I actually do it. And it may sound like a lot. I think a lot of people actually are surprised when I, it sounds like I really micromanage it. But it's become so second nature to me now. And it really only takes, you know, five minutes, barely. Um, I like this ritual just because it keeps me on track and makes sure I'm spending in a way that still supports all my other goals. Um, I really only care about, you know, my take-home pay, how much I'm trying to save, and how much I've spent so far for the month. So I know if my spending is creeping up, then I can cut back the following week. Um, so again, it's kind of the one area that I micromanage because I think it's so important and it's so easy to lose sight of it. So that is definitely something I, I do quite often. But then just about for everything else in my financial life, I really do set it and forget it. So I again, I try to make all the other stuff really mindless, but spending is this kind of day-to-day thing that I have to pay a lot of attention to. And the other side of that is if you know where you are with your spending for the month, saying, okay, you know, I'm halfway through the month and I've actually only spent you know, a quarter of what I said I was going to spend. So maybe I don't have to really beat myself up and feel guilty about the Uber or ordering takeout or any of these other kind of indulgent things that we feel like we should give up because they're a waste of money. So if you know where you stand with yourself, then it's a lot easier to spend and not worry about the guilt factor so much. So that's another reason I do it. So I never feel guilty going to get a manicure for myself. If I know it's in the budget. I'm not, you know, derailing any of my goals. It doesn't mean I'm not going to be able to pay my rent. It, it fits in nicely. And I think it takes that guilt factor out. So I've never really been a big fan of budgeting, even though I know it's important. And I know that it's sometimes the only way to really get ahead with your spending and your saving. But for us, what we do, which works well for us, and I'm not going to say this works well for everybody, but we really take care of the boring stuff first and the stuff that is imperative, you know, insurance, our mortgage, 
taxes, the things that if we don't pay them, um, bleep hits the fan. You know what I mean? And and we find comfort in that because then whatever's left in our bank account after all of those very important expenses are covered, we feel like, okay, now we can have some breathing room. Now we can go out and have that nice dinner. Now we can go out and, and buy that whatever that we want with ease of mind, with peace of mind. Absolutely. And I think that's the best gift you can give to yourself to be able to cover everything thing you need, all of your necessities, but also have some money for fun to treat yourself to do things that you value and you care about, whether that's the fancy gym membership, the new shoes, Uber, whatever that means for you. I think when you build those little indulgences into your budget, and you don't have to feel guilty, that's going to actually help you get to longer term goals. Because if you deprive yourself month after month after month, it's going to it's just like anything else. It's a crash diet, you'll eventually go off, go off the rails. So I think it's a balancing act with the here and now, and then the longer term. What would you do if you won the lottery? I, I think I would take my entire family on a really big trip and I would really blow it out, rent a beautiful home, maybe get a chef, do something really crazy. I would buy an apartment and I would save whatever's left and then I'd probably just go back to work the following Monday like nothing happened. <laughs> the one thing I wish I knew about money growing up is... I wish I had a better understanding of what the things I was asking for from my parents were really meant for them. I don't look back and feel like I was ungrateful for what they gave me, but I don't think I necessarily translated that. Going to the fancy private high school meant more overtime hours for my dad. Um, I didn't see that kind of cause and effect there. So I would definitely say understanding what the cause and effect was for my parents when you're asking for things from them. I don't think I got that until maybe college when I realized what was going on and that I was taking on student debt to be there and really the sacrifices that they made. But I think appreciation for your parents and all they do for you really does grow as you get older. The one thing I spend money on that makes my life easier or better is... (laughs) So I love dining out at great restaurants with friends, family. I don't love to cook and I really enjoy good food, great company, the atmosphere. So that is one indulgence that is always in my budget is definitely dining out. When I donate, I like to give to blank because... So my most recent donation was to a family from the town where I grew up. Their son had just been diagnosed with a rare neurological disorder. I think it always feels good to donate to a cause that feels personal to me and where I can really feel like I'm making a solid contribution. And here's the last one. I'm Karen Carr and I'm so money because... Because I think I'm taking a new outlook when it comes to personal finance. It's not all about accumulating assets and wealth. It's about helping people live their best life and really achieve their goals. Some are financial, some aren't. And that's all about, again, striking that balance. Karen Carr from Society of Grownups, thank you so much. Please tell everybody how we can learn more. Sure. So check out our website at societyofgrownups.com. There's great blog content. There's also our labs page, which features some really great financial calculators and tools that you can dig into. Wonderful. Karen, thank you so much. I'm a huge fan. Hope to have you back here on the show again soon. Thank you too, Farnoosh. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Karen Carr, her website is societyofgrownups.com. She's also on Twitter at Karen, C-A-R-R-C-F-P. 
All this information at SoMoneyPodcast.com. You can grab the audio, transcript, and comments from this episode and all previous episodes over there. And while you're on the site, check out Ask Farnoosh. Click on that little button and send me your question for the Friday episodes. Looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. I hope your day is so money.